0: Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's newest episode of our podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me, I'm your host and interviewer each week as we come into now what is our 75th episode of this podcast focused on each week interviewing people that have dedicated their careers, ultimately landing themselves, sometimes accidentally, sometimes intentionally into the C-Suite. I'm delighted for the first time in this series to be interviewing One of our own, meaning an executive in the C-suite at the Franklin Covey Company. Now, nearly episode 75, we are honored to be turning this spotlight on to Jennifer Colosimo, who serves as the president, one of two company presidents in Franklin Covey Worldwide, of what is our largest business division, the Enterprise Division. Joining us from her home office in Denver, Colorado, Jen Colosimo, welcome to C-Suite Conversations.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Scott. I'm honored to be part of this episode.
0: Jen, when I called you earlier to ask if you might be featured, you rattled off any number of a dozen CEOs or CFOs you much would rather me interview. But I persuasively convinced you to join today because, in fact, you have so much in your career that is both admirable, but I also think replicatable. And that's today what our conversation is going to be about is what are the things you've done well and maybe not so well that people could replicate or avoid. And so I'm looking forward to a very practical discussion today. Before we get into that aspect, would you rewind a couple of decades and reorient all of our listeners and viewers? Your career has been remarkable. You're entering what is close to your 25th year inside the Franklin Covey division. You have had a remarkable career inside the company, starting on the front line and now ending up in the C-suite as an executive officer of our company, running the largest revenue share of our company worldwide. You took a sabbatical for six or so years and worked at another organization. Rewind uh, maybe a couple of decades and walk us through your own career journey.
1: Well, I love how it's presented as a sabbatical, Scott, right, I worked. I just wasn't <laughs> working here. Um, so, what when you when you think about when I got out of graduate school, I started in management consulting. I started with Accenture, and I was called a change management consultant, which I think prepares you well for the rest of the career. When I joined what was then the Covey Leadership Center, it was a small privately held company, and my first task was to assist with the merger. So the Covey Leadership Center merged with Franklin Quest and I did communication tasks, merger communication, making it all come together as you think about mergers and acquisitions. And one of the most interesting things there is that was long enough ago that I needed to fax many of our partners. We had a fax strategy to ensure that they knew about that and had a wonderful 15 years. I uh, served as a client partner working with our clients was one of our delivery consultants, bringing our content to life with our clients, Uh, worked as a subject matter expert as we developed new products, ended up working in operations and serving as our own chief learning officer. And then to the sabbatical, I was lucky enough to um, invest five years at Devita, a Fortune 500 healthcare company in the kidney care space And that was wonderful, focused on sustainability, learning and development, clinical education, all of the events. They have a function at Davida that focuses on everything cultural, which I loved, and then invested about eight months consulting with um, some private equity-backed organizations before I returned, and since then have been leading some of our um, divisions through our through our transformation into a subscription-oriented company, becoming more focused on how de- we deploy the learning science and uh, lucky enough to serve as the president of the division today.
0: And the culmination of your career is today as a guest on C-Suite Conversation. Hardly, hardly. Jen, I appreciate that journey. Will you take a few minutes and talk about sort of the mechanics of what it means to be the president of the enterprise division at the Franklin Covey Company? And maybe before you do that, talk a little bit about who Franklin Covey is now. Because we don't typically use this podcast as a marketing tool for Franklin Covey. We use it as a chance to spotlight leadership journeys of people in all industries. But I think it's important for our viewers and listeners to also know who is the Franklin Covey behind the production of this podcast.
1: Thank you, Scott. Um, And I listen to the podcast every week um, on Sunday when I walk my dog. So um, and often listen to your guests and then have to come home and write some things down that I've learned. So I really appreciate the opportunity. Franklin Covey is a trusted leadership company. And our clients, many would say we know this from our customer research, the most trusted leadership company in the world. Uh, We have a global footprint, either via direct office or licensed partners, where we can deliver content in multiple languages, in multiple countries, in fact, everywhere except where there is a U.S. embargo. And if you think about how we approach it, one of the famous quotes from Stephen R. Covey is that leadership is a choice, not a position. And so we do focus, the other division at Franklin Covey is focused on education. The leader in me is K through 12 leaders. How do they prioritize, set goals, execute against them, collaborate effectively? And when you get to the enterprise division, we're focused on the workplace and how we help clients collectively. And I think that's an important word. We're focused on a group of people, a team, an organization, multiple teams, changing their behavior in order to get more effective, sustained results for the organization. So how do they manage themselves? Do they, how they communicate, collaborate? We have it for those who are interested in skills taxonomies with that new talent marketplace. So many people are focused on by capability and skill, but how do we effectively Prioritize, communicate, collaborate. How do we lead when they are formal positions at each level? First level, mid-level, executive level, even to executive level coaching. How do we execute most effectively on strategy and at the same time building high trust inclusive cultures. So we work with organizations, we have um, really what we're known for is best in class content but what people may not know is how we deploy via our platform, our impact platform, according to learning science so that you actually do change behavior versus just experiencing the content. And our people, of course, as consultants. The one thing I would say that's most important to me and uh, what I value so much about us at Franklin Covey is we really do start with who you are um, your character, your integrity, your intent, who you are, then driving how you think, which many have started to move to yeah, you've got to see it a certain way, then how you behave. So it's not just a checklist of things to do, it's going all the way back to your values, how you think, how you behave, and then the results that you get, which is of course why organizations hire us. They want a result, but we start through that whole path.
0: Jen, you used the term learning science several times as you discussed Franklin Covey's expertise and approach to the market. Uh, Unpack that. Why is that important and why is that maybe even a differentiator for how Franklin Covey might approach their clients implementation versus some very other competent competitor.
1: Well, we know, and this is common sense from any of the um, people that you've spoken to on either of your podcasts about how to build a habit. We know that people actually learn and then put that into their behavior by having repeat experiences often working with others having someone who's holding you accountable or a group of someone's holding you accountable being able to process out loud verbally but it isn't a one-time experience that really changes habits or has people learn, even think about your experiences in school. So through our platform, as we work with clients, you experience it in the flow of your work. Even if it's a live experience, we have accountability challenges built in cohort-based work built in, the things that actually drive behavior change. I'm not saying that self-paced or learning you find on your own. You and I can learn on our own. We have our entire lives. But if you're really looking for that change, you have people going through it together in a measured way that drives that accountability in the building of habits.
0: Jen, you serve as the president of the largest division at Franklin Covey, a global division called the Enterprise Division. We mentioned in our opening you've been around this family for several decades, which means you should be pretty proficient at the vast array of content, the solutions that Franklin Covey provides our clients. Uh, Quite frankly, household names, the seven habits of highly effective people, the speed of trust, the six critical practices for leading a team, project management, change, the four disciplines of execution, the five choices to extraordinary productivity, and on and on and on. courses and solutions on inclusive leadership and unconscious bias and how to present and speak and manage conflict and have difficult conversations. Of all that content that truly you have exhibited expertise on, implementing, selling, teaching, helping clients bring it alive in a customized way in their company, which one is the most difficult for you? Is there a particular habit or skill or discipline, that as a C-suite leader leading a large sales organization, which of our content pieces do you struggle with? Maybe one professionally and one mm-hmm. personally as a, a spouse and a, and a, a mother to two you know, well-educated daughters and as a neighbor and a committee member and board member. Give us one personal, one professional example of where you struggle, in fact, leading, living our own
1: content. Well, Scott, I think the thing is, as a leader, if for me, if I ever feel like I arrived, I'll know that I'm done. (laughs) Um, I'm definitely a lifelong student and have as a career been a lifelong student of effective, being an effective leader. And yet I would never profess to be a model (laughs) example so thank you for even saying, I, I do have proficiency in presenting what it does and how it does it, but um, I have enough humility to know that I have um, no, in, no credible claim to being an expert in, in behaving it day to day. I think the biggest thing I, ch- first I'll do professional, that I struggle with is bringing it all together. And let me explain a little bit more what I mean about that. I think while we talk about trust and inspire leadership, we teach trust and inspire leadership, and I believe in that. And we um, teach people how to manage through change because there are multiple different reactions to change and none of them are all good or all bad. And we have content on inclusive leadership and how to cultivate a culture of belonging. Scott, it would be easier to be great if what was expected was more command and control. Hmm. Here's what we need to do, do this. Here's the logical consequences. Now, do I think that's the best thing to unleash human humans? No. Do I care about that? Yes. So, but what, what's hard for me is bringing it all together. So you mentioned some of our key content. Executing on strategy, right? What are the four disciplines that have us execute on our most wildly important goal? Great. And at the same time, are you developing talent? Are you coaching? Are you being an ally and a sponsor? Do you take the time to mentor and ask good questions versus solve each problem? And then at the same time, are am I managing my own energy, my own ability to be healthy, physically, social, emotionally, spiritually, mentally? So I'm trying to manage that. Coaching and leading effectively the talent component the execution on strategy and to make it worse. I was not born uh, a patient human and so obviously patience is required to collaborate to get to better results to do all the things. So to me, it isn't that you can just point out one. It's that I may in this present moment be really practicing empathy well and listening and getting to understanding, or I may have a moment where I give the feedback well, or I'm executing on strategy and I've got a clear vision and it's compelling. To me, what's most interesting about the four areas we focus on is bringing it all together and really trying to unleash humans to get a result.
0: Jim, before you go to the personal side, I think I just heard a collective exhale from tens <laughs> of millions of leaders around the world where you just gave them permission to be vulnerable, say, yeah, it's tough to bring it all together at the same time, right? It's what Stephen and Mark Covey says, which is one of the leader's roles is to achieve results today in a way that allows you to also achieve results next week, next month, next quarter, next year, so you're not burning your team members out. I, I really appreciate the vulnerability in that because being a leader of people is not for everyone. Not everyone should be on the path of being a people leader. I, thanks for, honestly, giving voice to everyone who's listening. Flip it now to uh, yeah. daughter in law and, and spouse and mother and neighbor and committee member. Maybe you are or you aren't on your local HOA, but I know you serve on lots of uh, boards when you bring the content home in your personal life where do you struggle
1: well i appreciate you first calling out vulnerability you had a guest recently that spoke about vulnerability and and just to pause here for a minute scott the thing i find um uh so hard about you know she was talking about how vulnerability is key to resilience and and i will get to personally That's a hard thing as I'm sure any executive, but as a woman executive, I can't speak to others, other genders, right? And other, those that they identify in other genders, I don't have that. But what I have is if I'm too vulnerable, am I weak and do they trust my leadership and my strength? And if I'm not vulnerable at all, then, you know, am I relatable? It's very. I think it's a really hard balance. I don't know if you find this as well, but in particular for my gender, too much vulnerability. I find that very hard. So I'll leave that one there, unless you have a comment on that, no. and I'll go to my personal.
0: No, not touching that. Keep going. Well said. <laughs> well said. Let's talk about. I
1: was thinking. Oh, that's hard too. Um, so personally. Um, What I used to find, I'm lucky in that, as you mentioned, my children are grown. And the part that I'm lucky about is they they are responsible, civic-minded, productive adults. And I think I should always knock on wood. Life comes and things change. But right now, what I found when they were younger is I used all my energy bringing it all together and being effective at work. And then by the time i got home i was just like oh and now i'm gonna do it here again um and so it was it was really um the balance i don't struggle with my adult children because they're interesting and and i get to listen to them so it's not children um my husband maybe still gets some of that of when i've exhausted all little all of my bones of effectiveness at work and i come back and think could I just watch the latest whatever on <laughs> Disney Plus? So you might laugh, but I do like Disney Plus
0: with a martini. Um, Maybe with a martini. With too, a martini, so. I'll have go. a
1: martini. But I like Disney there you Plus. Go. That's okay. Um, so I think the one I still struggle with the most is you can say it's patient, patience. But you've talked about boards that I'm on, several nonprofit boards. Um, things that I do in the community, I will see a vision and think, let's just do it. I'll even convey it well, I think. And the thing about human beings is there's going to be one human being or a lot of other human beings that don't see it the same way you do. And in fact, it we can struggle with civility. And I think I stay civil. But I'm having a really hard time when um, those that don't agree with my vision aren't as civil and aren't trying to get to what we would call from that, the seven habits, getting to synergy. They're not listening. They're not looking for a win-win. They're not looking to find a solution than either of us thought of on our own. And I think the hardest thing for me is to maintain who I want to be and what I value in the face of what by my own assessment is ineffective.
0: Jen, I wanna ask you six or eight questions about your career, and I wanna do it in a speed round format. So maybe a minute per question. Okay. And I want you to exercise uh, no humility because I really wanna hear from you things you've done well, things you're great at, things that are replicable. First, let's talk about your own career. What are two or three skills competencies, fears you've conquered, talents you've learned, that you think are replicable, that anybody could learn? They, maybe they do have an MBA or they don't. Maybe they didn't even go to college. Maybe they were raised in a different setting or were modeled different behaviors through parents or leadership. What are some things you've done well as you look back to say, you know what? I learned how to do that. I mastered that. And everybody could do that just like I did.
1: I think the first one, Scott, is regardless of any kind of background or education, is you can be curious. I would say the verb is cultivate curiosity. Um, The other option is to not understand something and be ashamed and feel like you don't understand it and you should. And this makes you look dumb or there's imposter syndrome. I have learned that I will say, oh, wait. I don't understand. Could you explain how that works? Or someone uses a term and I'm sitting as I am right now at my desk and I'll be Googling it. What is that? I am incredibly curious and I am not ashamed to say when I don't understand something. Um, And I think when I was younger, I would sit in a room and think, well, it seems like everybody else gets it and that's going to make me look really dumb. But it is a huge career skill to say, I don't understand that, but I want to. Why does that happen? How does it happen? Who works on it? What could make it better? I think that's the primary. And I'd add one more. I think we all have the capability to say, this happened. Either I caused it, I made a bad decision, This didn't, or something happened to me completely outside of my control. We all have the capability to say, okay, this is where I am this is my circumstance, what am I going to do now? Stay or do? We all have the ability to do that, and I think from a career standpoint, staying curious and really thinking about how you act in a situation so it isn't react based on fear or embarrassment or whatever else negative emotion caused it, anybody can do.
0: Jen, you and I share what I would call a passion, and that is, uh, self-awareness, is helping other people become more self-aware, become more aware of their own blind spots, but also our own, right? Is you and I demonstrating hopefully a self-awareness around what's it like to work with us? What's it like to be in a room with Scott Miller or Jen Colosimo in our own blind spots? Is there a, is, as you have matured in your own self-awareness, moving from individual contributor to team division, now company leader, global, company leader, is there something that you've overcome? Maybe it's a personality trait or impetuousness or impulsivity or, you know, some, some challenge that you had that you've turned into a strength or you've been able to mitigate it through your own maturity and more developed self-awareness.
1: Well, you would have to ask the people I work with how far this has evolved versus me because I think I've I've made big progress, but they would know better. Um, Scott, I am a very direct speaker, writer. In my mind- You talk straight. To quote our I content, talk you're a straight it's talker. Like, it's just like, well, this is what happened, or this is what we should, and what I've found is, of course, you want to be able to talk straight, but there's that uh, balance of courage and consideration and what i've had to work on and i hope people would say i've gotten better is that not every situation calls for it to be a blunt yeah statement yeah. um and you've known me um for many years i hope i've gotten better at that but in my mind doesn't necessarily work that way my mind works you just say that Well, and so I really have to work at it.
0: Well, having no psychological training whatsoever. (laughs) But I have read a couple books, a couple thousand books. uh,
1: So many books. I'm going to
0: pay you a compliment. As our listeners know, I have the privilege of serving as the host of another podcast for Franklin Covey. I motion that way because the set's over there. It's called On Leadership. And I interviewed the famous uh, Harvard-based psychologist, Dr. Susan David. She, of course, wrote the book Emotional Agility and her TED talk is phenomenal. You must read the book, Emotional Agility. One of the leadership concepts that Dr. David teaches that I think you are a superb model of, that is recognizing there is a difference between your emotions, your opinions, your feelings, and facts. Both of those are valuable. Your, your feelings matter, and so mm-hmm. do facts. And our opinions matter, and so do facts, but they're different. Facts are facts, and our feelings are our feelings, and oftentimes, as spouses, as parents, as leaders, as humans, we conflate our feelings and our opinions as facts, or we present our emotions as facts. That's natural, unhelpful, but natural. I think something you do well is, I don't think you present your emotions as facts, and as a result of keep you keeping those separate, you tend to focus on the facts, and sometimes maybe they come out straight to people. You might say abrasive, or you might say harsh. Mm-hmm. But I think it's because you actually demonstrate what Dr. Dr., Dr. David says to keep them separate. I think it's actually a skill. And of course, like all of our skills when overplayed, they can become our weaknesses. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes, I definitely would. Um, and, and I will name, uh, I'm, unfortunately or fortunately, however you think, I recently had someone who is on um, my team works with me directly all the time, say, you are very authentic. I haven't seen people, um, and, and she'll know this if she hears it, be in the front of the room and say, I'm so excited and I'm going to do a cheer, or this is so disappointing, and these are immediate teams, right? This isn't in front of the whole company, but I'll say, I'm going to throw myself on the ground. I literally cannot believe that. I, I have an exaggerative way of being fun about it, but um, I, I think I have had to think about how do you say this? We talk about it, Franklin Covey, that we're a workplace for achievers with heart, and I have the heart. And I think I'm better known. And what I really had to work at was demonstrating that heart. No one ever questioned the achiever component.
0: Jen, I'd like you to survey the landscape of the leaders that report to you, not just your direct reports, but even a couple of layers down. I'm guessing there was probably 40 or 50 leaders of people across the breadth of your responsibility globally at Franklin Covey. What's the rarest but most valuable leadership skill you see in your high potentials?
1: You know, um, and I think your listeners um, may relate to this. You can have on your team um, in all levels, right? When you say team, wide team, really deep functional expertise. Name any function that an organization has. You can have deep functional expertise. You can have deep management expertise, and, and I we do delineate between management and leadership. You know, They have their one-on-ones. They have project plans. They communicate to the team. They're working in the system, right? You can have great leaders. They have this beautiful vision, and they can convey it, and they can really mobilize groups to work with them. Um, good coaches. You can have all this different... The thing I think that uh, I really value the most is, and we talked about how difficult it is to bring that all together as a leader. When you have a leader that you can tell is good at prioritizing the multiple ways their day, their week, their month could go, they you can tell that they can really make a great assessment of this is urgent this isn't this should change my whole schedule this shouldn't i need to get in front of that now that can wait a week i think that's a difficult skill and um you might be laughing at that being the biggest one but i I value all those different but i really value the ones that you think i totally trust that they're going to be able to prioritize
0: I, not only am I not laughing, I'm kind of riveted, because I think what you described is described as judgment, is discernment, it's understanding what do I fuel, what do I starve, and what am I willing to be agile and nimble enough to completely change what I thought was the priority, but this is a bigger opportunity, versus you know, being a solution looking for a problem, or like me, and I we laugh about this in my books and on the podcast, that you know, I love to save the day, I love to rush in the dopamine, the adrenaline. I love a good crisis. And if one doesn't exist, I'll cook one up so I can feel the adrenaline to save the day. And I, I say this kind of tongue in cheek because I know it's both a strength and a massive weakness because my personality can sway people towards a crisis addiction. Crisis companies need me, non crisis companies don't need me. And I've matured to understand this. I can, I can greatly appreciate the wisdom. Those who are listening right now should rewind that and re-listen to what you said about just having good judgment and discernment around how to manage your time and know when to change and when to kind of stay steadfast. Is that what I hear?
1: Yes. You said it so well. it, 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 It is paradoxical, right? When am I going to be agile versus when am I going to stick? When is this more important than that and I should just cancel everything and deal with that? Um, and, and as you think about it, that is a difficult skill and p- possibly I would, I think it is based on the majority of the cultures that I've been in, whether employed there or as a consultant, it's also culture dependent to some extent. And so you need to learn how to navigate what that actually is. But I love when I think I just know that they'll know what maybe not what, but where to place their energy. Um, most important.
0: Jen, I'm mindful of our time, but I also want to keep going because I think the combination of your wisdom and your vulnerability is captivating. Let's talk about sales leadership. You have responsibility for hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue on the top line, the bottom line, and arguably your role is a linchpin role in every organization. All the revenue and all the costs roll up to you and one other president in the company. Uh, As you look at your role as a sales leader, how have you changed? How have you changed from being a sales leader of two or three people now to hundreds of salespeople? What, What have you found is the biggest proficiency, competency you've had to learn and develop to be an effective sales leader so that ultimately in a public company of which you are a named executive officer, you connect your commitments to the fact that you have shareholders that are making investments in their own company's funds, in retirement funds, and the gravity that comes with having institutional investors that invest their pensions in stock portfolios, including our own. I don't mean to make that a bigger deal than it is, but it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. But bring that, that sort of gargantuan responsibility down to some practical sales leadership skills that you have learned that everyone should have that's aspiring to or has a similar role like you have?
1: Well, there's three things that I that I heard in there, Scott. One is uh, public company accountability. And there is a three-legged stool. You're thinking about your customers and are you making a lasting client impact with what you bring to them? You're thinking about your team members And are you creating internally a high trust inclusive culture? And you're thinking about your shareholders and you just mentioned the responsibility that you have to those that have invested public funds, other people's retirements in your organization. So that one I think um, is a whole different story, critical. Then going down the the sales path, when you think of sales, that's also in my experience, very unique in um, an organization. Are you selling uh, technology? Are you selling content technology, people that changes behavior? Are you in development looking for white space for real estate or medical clinics? So sales itself, it depends on your culture. For ours specifically, What's really, really important for me is think about what we do. We are focused on the whole person, but how that whole person demonstrates behavior change to move an organization forward. We're principle-based. We're human-centered. We have to have people who really, really are doing their best in the sales process to model our principles to model what we teach about sales which is you have to have um, a great deal of empathy really inquiry to understand what the client's needing and then you also have to have advocacy as you know um uh in January uh uh 2 January ago we we deployed a book called strikingly different selling you have to be able to differentiate yourself in the marketplace and so Ours is, of course, very specific to us. I think from a seller's standpoint, we are great at listening to what our clients need and matching them up to the capabilities that we bring. How that's changed my leadership. Well, as you know, salespeople love, in in my experience across the board, love to be celebrated, love recognition and... um, Hopefully that's something that uh, I brought to the table. I also like to party.
0: <laughs> Jen, <laughs> stay in that theme for a moment, super practical. Is there anything that you've instituted, whether it was your idea or someone else's idea, as a sales leader that you think other sales leaders should think about, whether it's you know uh, tracking a pipeline or forecast discipline in your sales force or number of face-to-face client hours, is there any sales methodology that you've turned into practical application, leader lag measures in the sales force that you say, you know what, this has been a key to Franklin Covey's growth and the stock price growth and having clients achieve results. Anything practical that sales leaders might want to learn from you right now? I mean, you wrote a, you co-wrote a best-selling book called Strikingly Different Selling. Talk about that.
1: Well, you know, for all of the chief revenue officers out there, for all of you in the role uh, that I have, all of your listeners, that it's it's similar, um, the go-to-market motion is increasingly sophisticated, and um, there's a couple of things. I mean, I'm going to talk a little bit about sales, but that one, from my perspective, what gets measured gets done. If you want revenue at any cost, that's one strategy. If you want Profitable growth, that's a different strategy. If you want profitable growth that's in alignment with what you strategically need as a company, that's a different strategy. So I could summarize all that as what gets measured gets done. And you've got to figure out am I in growth at all costs, profitable growth, or am I at profitable growth um, in a very strategic way that drives the outcomes we need for that three? legged footstool of our shareholders our customers and our team members so that one i think everybody is thinking about what i've found especially over the last i don't know several years you know how sometimes you say in the last five years and you realize it's been 15 um that's me right now but your go-to-market motion now is much more sophisticated from an analytics standpoint, both from the marketing measures, through the acquisition, through the customer success measures, through the keeping the client relationship alive. Um, there's a lot across all of that. I think the big thing that I would take both from strikingly different selling and from our other content, um, helping clients succeed from a capability standpoint is you need as a seller, regardless of your type of selling environment to have a strong balance of inquiry. You're not just skating over everything the client says and being like, yeah, yeah, of course we can do that. I'll do this inquiry and advocacy. You're also not agreeing to everything they say if that's not going to be a win for you or you're not gonna be able to deliver on it. I think sales capability is a fascinating field with incredible depth, as is the entire go-to-market motion of revenue ops.
0: Jen, last question. I want you to be thinking about our co-founder, Dr. Stephen R. Covey. He, of course, is the author of the seminal book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This book has sold more than 50 million copies across all of its translations worldwide. It is one of the foundational contents we teach in our all-access Pass. It is, by most accounts, the most seminal personal leadership content ever created. Millions of professionals have attended this program in their organizations and individually and you had the distinct honor, one of maybe two or three people other than his son, Sean Covey, of co-writing a book with Dr. Covey. He passed 10 years ago in his 80th year. You co-authored a book, I don't know, 15 plus years ago called Great Work, Great Career. This was a very practical book on, at the time, how to manage your career well, and it would not surprise me if you authored a book or two or three in your coming years as a leader in this company. I want you to think about your time with Dr. Covey tutoring under him, having him mentor you. Is there something you learned from him that has had a maybe disproportionate impact on something you've learned from a great leader or a mentor or an ally or a champion? What's something you learned from Dr. Covey that others might be sent off with today?
1: There's so many things, Scott, as you know, and I know um, you had experience with Dr. Covey as well. The most meaningful to me was his belief in the capacity and the capability of human beings, both to change um, and to review their own mindsets in a way to change their ability to solve the greatest problems that face humanity. And I think personally for me, and I'll paraphrase it, I won't be saying his quote the exact way, but it... um, he always mentioned, you know, all of us at some time in our life have our spark dim a little. Something's happened or a bunch of things have happened and our spark dims. And how much do we appreciate those that are able to reignite our fire by believing in us sometimes more than we believe in ourselves? Um, from a personal standpoint, by far the most meaningful thing. That, that I took from him personally.
0: Jennifer Colosimo, president of Franklin Covey's Enterprise Division. Thoroughly enjoyed listening to you today. I'm thinking a lot about the leader's role to kind of make it all work together, right? Sometimes we're really good at one thing. And we always go with our strengths usually, but I'll be haunted by your aspirational idea of kind of bringing it all together. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much, Scott.
0: And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation from the C-suite.